the heart of the matter, an open line, open forum telephone talk show, spotlighting issues of concern to people in every walk of life. To participate in the discussion, call Metro 445-1040 or Metro 445-1155. When you call the heart of the matter, please give your first name and turn down your radio. When it's your turn, you'll be on the air live. Okay, so we're ready with you on the heart of the matter, and shalom. Good to four weeks when I went to Israel in June, and uh, still can report to you on that. I have no guests today. The lines are open, so you can call right away. Uh, 445-1040 in the Metroplex, and 445-1155, also a metro number. Both of them are metro now, so wherever you are in the mid-cities, dial 445, and either 1040 or 1155. You know, I was uh, the guest host on Marlon Maddox's program, Point of View, yesterday, which is a satellite, a national program, and uh, got a different variety of questions than I get on my own uh, satellite program, and then I get on the heart of the matter. It's very interesting that you uh, change studios and change telephone numbers, and there's sort of a different group following along. The radio audience is invisible. Uh, the, the radio and television audiences, of course, are in homes, and nobody sees them gather or knows what they look like or who's listening or watching. And I find it interesting that you just change programs or times of day, and the run of questions is somewhat different. On uh, Maddox's show, people wanted to know about the Sabbath. Uh, they wanted to argue uh, doctrines of the worship of Mary and prayer to saints and this sort of thing, which has been coming up more and more lately. That's interesting to me that uh, sacramental churches, I'll put it that way, are calling in more and more about uh, the Bible and whether their practices, which they have always valued and been taught, of course, it's not easy to change horses in midstream, and they have always done things one way, but now are asking, are they biblical? And I think the cause of that is, is good, sound Bible study among uh, the other denominations, not every one of them, but uh, some, and, and the production of living Bibles and good news for modern man, and uh, getting the word out, in other words, talking about the word, having programs uh, like this program where the questions are uh, Bible-oriented. And so they begin to get curious which of the customs of this and that church uh, line up with the scriptures. And, of course, they're not the only ones. If I took... Uh, uh, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, if I took any church, any denomination is what I want to say, and uh, studied its practices against the Bible, that would um, give me a different batting average each time, in other words, uh, more or less accuracy to the scriptures. Of course, there should be 100% accuracy to the scriptures. There's, there's no reason why we can't have a church be scriptural. Uh, well, we'll argue in some essentials. Should this gift be practiced? Should this uh, um, thing that they did in the first century really be practiced as written in the 20th century? Uh, I can think of offhand tongues would be problematic. Women speaking in church differs from community to community. A uh, manner of dress, what you, what you suppose by uh, the term of dress modestly. Uh, and, and this sort of thing might vary from, from church to church and town to town, but essentially there should never be something anti-biblical in any Christian church. And uh, we're just getting a lot of calls from Roman Catholics, from uh, uh, the folks in the Greek Orthodox, whatever, the denominations that are sacramental, because they have a great lore, rather like the Jews, of 
uh, man-made canon law. Uh, their sages of the past have written things down, given opinions, started out interpreting the scriptures and then interpreting the interpretations until we have other books that rise in importance until they become as holy or even supersede the scriptures. And then they start doing what those other books say and they begin to look unscriptural naturally. And they're beginning to call. So it's probably, you know, a point scored in favor of the Bible if a non-biblical church member calls in and, and simply wants to, to ask, simply wants to check is, is what we're doing uh, biblical or not. So I noticed I got a lot of those questions. Our phone number's here, by the way. Don't wait with your question today. If you have one ready, call now and don't get in the traffic jam. If you wait, you'll hold the line a long time and, and I won't be able to give you adequate time. This is the time to call a talk show when it first gets going. Uh, 445-1040, which is a metro number, and also metro 445-1155. All lines open now. Another question that came up just consistently, just tiresomely, and I have to even limit it on my own uh, satellite program, is questions about the Sabbath. Uh, I am exhausted with answering the simple question that we do not have a Sabbath in the New Testament. That's it. Colossians 2.16 says it, and that's the end of it. Uh, furthermore, there are no scriptures that tell us to keep one. Uh, Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man tell you about feast day, Sabbaths, diet, etc. Uh, in other words, don't, don't let anybody come preaching law under grace. While we have the gospel, don't let anybody come with the rules from the Old Testament. Uh, not that they're bad in themselves, but it's, it's a different covenant. Um, this is such a simple point. That's all there is to it. And there is nowhere in the gospel a statement uh, that we should keep the Sabbath, or even what, what day it might be. Nothing. Just nothing. Now, if it were fundamental to, to being saved, which some people make it to be, uh, I would expect chapters on it. Uh, there's chapters on it in the Old Testament when it was fundamental to keeping the law. But uh, uh, I don't have a breath uh, on it. Uh, the same with the uh, worship of Mary, say, which is another issue that comes up. There's simply nowhere that, that she is worshipped. The apostles do not do it. They do not talk about it. Peter doesn't do it. John doesn't do it. The Lord didn't do it. There's nowhere prescribed that we should pray to Mary. Uh, and, and yet men do this. Uh, why do they do it? One answer that came forth from a listener was interesting, which is that religions before uh, Christ non-Jewish religions before Christ had goddesses Astart uh, Ishtar of the Persians and Babylonians and uh, many times the goddess uh, the mother symbol who gives life and so on was venerated only these were pagan deities uh, they, they made them up they served a purpose but goddess worship got into the human psyche I mean it was a way we did things Women are I don't know, more remote, more mysterious, maybe more powerful. Maybe we think, uh, you know, if we're pagans, if we're unbelievers, we think it's more reasonable to worship a woman, more logical, more in keeping with nature. I don't know, but there isn't the vaguest breath of, of evidence in the gospel. Nothing, just nothing. And if, as it were, uh, so important then I would expect chapters of instruction on how to worship Mary. And I would expect Jesus to say, not pray our Father which art in heaven, but pray, 
Hail Mary, Mother of God, or however they pray. But uh, I don't, I don't find that. I don't find any of it. So those questions are the ones that came up from the nation. So in a way, I took the pulse of the nation for an hour and a half yesterday afternoon and at least saw what they asked about. Uh, they didn't ask so many Jewish Christian questions. They asked, uh, not uh, well, they asked about Israel and the bad publicity. Uh, it just goes on and on. Last night, I was sitting up real late, and I watched, I think it was the NBC All Night News or whatever it was. They have a news show. In the middle of the night, I don't know if you stayed up very much to see that, but they have news programs with a rather sarcastic flair in which the newscasters always sound like this. You know, they say, oh, there was a fire in California last night, then we have pictures. And it's just real silly, kind of, you know, entertaining news for the hip crowd that's still up, you know. And once in a while I stay up late, and I was watching it, and they showed a montage, of, it was supposed to be news, and they showed uh, Israel, tanks, guns, soldiers, big weapons, airplanes, then Prime Minister Spagan's voice coming over, saying, we shall never have a Holocaust again. People will not shed Jewish blood with impunity. And then they flipped to picture after picture after picture of civilian refugees sweeping in the streets of Beirut, little children, and so on. It was rather pathetic, uh, but it was distorted and slanted news all the same. Uh, Begin did not say, let's go kill their wives and children. He said, let's get the PLO. They've been killing us for years. And... Uh, and, and and we didn't even go to get the PLO uh, out, I mean, to kill them. We, we wanted to get them out. We wanted to invite them to leave, and that's what, what happened. Uh, they decided to hole up in apartment buildings in downtown Beirut. That's tough on the civilian population. If they had any guts, they'd get out in a field and set up for battle and not hide in civilian quarters. But they chose to hide in civilian quarters, and so you had a lot of civilian casualties. But that came up in yesterday's program, whether the news media is treating the situation in, in Israel, in God's country, with fairness. And I couldn't but say, you know, uh, they really aren't, but, but we are our own enemies. We're the ones that watch the, in, in the national news. The, the, the national newscasters are not there to, to give news so much as to sell soap. And we are buying the soap and the cars and the razor blades and the tires and the rest of the junk they hawk in their commercials. We are buying that. Because we are watching the violence. We enjoy it. We don't want to hear news about how Israel's getting the desert to blossom like a rose. We want to see Israeli tanks, and we want to see buildings blown up and fires starting. Uh, people running in the streets. Why we want to see it, I am not sure. But we have met the enemy, and he is us, as Pogo said. Um, I'm afraid that, that uh, we caused the national news to do what they do. So no sense sitting back in the armchairs and pontificating about how bad they are. Uh, don't ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We're going to go ahead and take a short break. You go ahead and call during the break. I've talked enough. 445-1040 in the Metroplex. 445-1040. And also a Metro number, 445-1155. Walk about the land, for I will give it to you. Sunday night at 9 on Channel 39, Zola Levitt presents The Promised Land. This week, Zola is in the office of the mayor of Jerusalem, interviewing Mayor Teddy Kollek about his adventuresome life, his city Jerusalem, his beliefs, his opinions, and his country, Israel. Join Zola as he finds out what the mayor of God's city is thinking. Sunday night at 9 on Channel 39. In the heart of the matter, and yes, Sunday night on Zola Levitt Live, I'll be talking with Mayor Teddy Kollek. It was really a thrill for me. 
uh, kind of an annoyance to the mayor who had five telephone lines holding and speaking various languages from one receiver to another when our TV crew came in, but he was most gracious and uh, paid good attention to us, even posed for still photographs afterwards. And uh, he's quite a charming man, a marvelous man. I don't know another mayor. Do you? It's been in office since 1965. Uh, they almost don't bother to hold the election anymore because everybody in every party wants Mayor Kolek to win and they go and vote for him. Wouldn't it be nice if we had mayors like that? Wanda? Thank you, Zola. Uh, in traveling in Israel, th last night I was looking at a map and I didn't realize the tremendous uh, height and depression of the elevation of the land. Oh, yes. It's uh, between uh, Jerusalem and the Dead Sea area is a difference of, I think, 3,800 sea level feet, which is uh, just an enormous drop in 30 miles. Do you get a feeling of, say, density or something as you say would go to, from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea? Oh, yeah. You, you put your car in neutral and forget about it. <laughs> just about. You, you, you go zap downhill, but when you come back and from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, you are constantly shifting gears and climbing and climbing and climbing. You, you definitely get a feeling. In fact, your ears pop. Oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah, there's signs along the road that tell you the sea level marking. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, it's a thrilling trip. It's it's very much like, you don't realize it till you're there, but when you start from the Dead Sea climbing towards Jerusalem, it's this long, exhausting climb, and when you get close enough, you look way at the top of the mountains in front of you, and way on their very heights, you see towers sticking up, and that's where Jerusalem is. Oh, my, that must be gorgeous. Oh, I don't know anything more gorgeous. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Okay, Wanda. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's things to see in Israel you uh simply not going to copy anywhere else. It almost, you know, it, whether you're interested in, in the scriptures or, or what, it's a common human heritage, uh, this land where it all happened, and some of the things, the view of uh, Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, the Sea of Galilee, uh... Uh, the Dead Sea, of course, the gorgeous sunsets on the Mediterranean. All these the biblical characters saw, and uh, they're still the same. Now, nobody has uh, declared that they own the sunset, or it used to belong to their grandfathers. Uh, Marie? Uh-huh? You're on the heart of the matter. Oh, uh, Zola? Yeah. Uh, did I hear you yesterday, I believe it was yesterday on the station, did I hear you say Dr. McGee bleed in the Sabbath day? No. No, uh, you're mixing two things together. I dis—I said I disagreed with Dr. McGee once, and uh, for that I was threatened with the loss of my salvation by a listener. <laughs> well, I wanted to get this straight. I didn't hear all of it, and I appreciate you on TV and even on all the stations I hear you on. It's great. <laughs> okay, thank you, Marie. Bye-bye. Bye. My quibble with Dr. McGee was over his saying that the present restoration of Israel is not a fulfillment of prophecy. I think it is, and I think almost everybody thinks it is. I don't know why he said that, but he said that here on the heart of the matter, and I, I could not but disagree, and I don't usually disagree with my guest, especially when he's a venerable and well-loved Bible teacher I'll listen to myself. But uh, I, I, I know there are people that hold that philosophy, but... Uh, I can't imagine it, and uh, uh, there's so many good proofs that, that it is the restoration spoken of in the Bible. There aren't two spoken of. This is it. The book of Amos says, when I place them in their own land, I shall not remove them again, next to the last verse of Amos. And so this has to be it. And the Dr. McGee said it was not. So I 
respectfully disagree with him on the show. I got hate letters, uh, including removing my salvation. So you can lose your salvation by disagreeing with Dr. McGee, uh, and it goes on my list of ways that listeners have taken away my salvation for playing a musical instrument in a mission, for uh, being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rather than being baptized in Jesus' name, for, uh, what else, not keeping Saturday, not calling God Yahweh. I'm not sure I lose my salvation for those. It's just a grave error in the, those people's views. But the others are salvation losers. And disagreeing with Dr. McGee is a salvation loser, according to a letter. Okay, I have my tongue in my cheek. I really don't think I lost my salvation, and I don't think uh, McGee and I will, will uh, reconcile uh, this argument until we see the king. And who knows, I might be wrong. I'll still uh, respectfully disagree, hoping to keep my salvation. Sheila. Hi. Hi, how are you? Just fine. How are you doing? Pretty good. Um, I was just calling in response to your statement, or to your comments about Mary, and as far as praying to her or worship of her. And um, I'm a Catholic, and as you know, Catholics put a lot of emphasis on, on Mary as the mother of God. And one thing that I think sometimes people get confused on is that we don't worship Mary, certainly not as a goddess or something like that, because there's only, as you know, one God, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary is, um, we ask Mary to pray for, her, for us. It's um, like part of that prayer that you were trying to quote is that, Towards the end of it, it says, like, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Well, if it were all that way, it's okay. But last week in Poland, the Pope, praying for the freedom of Poland, says, Mary, Holy Mother, we beg you to grant this request. Right. We ask her to, to ask her son. No. We, he asked her to grant the request. Well, she, you know, she will pray for us. If she could be... I'm sorry. I'm quoting you the Pope's own words. Well, she prays for us. We don't worship her. You and the Pope differ on this, then, because he said, Mary, grant us this request. Don't, Mary, ask your son. Mary, grant us this request. And you know it as well as I do. Well, maybe he was making um, the assumption that, you, that the people knew that we don't worship her as a spiritual body. He was probably make that as, making the assumption that people know that she's not a god or anything like that, but that... Sheila, you're whitewashing. As far as I know, traveling among Catholics, and I just finished speaking at the Greater Pittsburgh Charismatic Conference, which is at Duquesne University, a Catholic university where I graduated and where I know many people, uh, they worship Mary in three words. That's all I can tell you. Hmm. Well, we just, you know, we ask her as a, you know, as a spiritual body, or just like I ask, you know, any friends to pray for me if I'm, you know, making a decision or asking for a strength and a struggle of my life to pray for me. I also ask Mary to, to pray for me, too, and that... Is there any scriptural basis for your asking Mary to pray for you? Well, just like I would, is there a scriptural basis for anybody to pray for well, no, your friends are alive. They really can pray for you. Uh, Mary evidently is dead. Why would, uh, why would you pray, ask someone? I mean, why wouldn't you ask the prophet Daniel or, or uh, uh, Abraham to pray for you as well? Well, I think there's special emphasis maybe on Mary because she is and was the mother of God. She, surely she's dead physically, but she's very much alive spiritually. And... Um, it's just that Mary being the mother of God, I think just as any good mother knows her, uh, a child in a special way, that she knew Christ in a way that no other human beings probably on this earth knew Christ just because she was his mother and that 
Like any good mother knows, the mannerisms or characteristics of their children in a very special way that are unknown to other people. Mary had that same ability, too, in that she does know Christ and is, and is, the, was, is and was the mother of God, and, and we look to her as you know, praying for us, too, in that special way. Because none of my friends could pray to Christ or ask Christ in the same way that Mary could because she is the mother of God. So Mary is the intercessor and Christ is the one who answers the prayer. Right. And, but the scripture says Jesus is our intercessor with the Father. Well, you could be my intercessor too, or any of my friends could be an intercessor in terms of praying for me. And Mary can too pray for me. Okay, Sheila, thank you. Uh-huh. I, uh, okay, <laughs> I, I don't understand what I've been told, really. Uh, I don't still know why I don't pray to Isaiah then. Uh, any dead person then whose spirit is, is with the Lord, except, uh, as she says, Mary might have a greater influence over her son, but there's nowhere uh, a single example. Didn't Paul know this? Didn't, didn't Peter know this? And wouldn't they have prayed to Mary if it were more efficacious? It just doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to uh, go ahead to our second break. Uh, the phone lines in, well, let's see, 445-1040 is taken. I've got a couple of lines, if you'll right now dial 445-1155. Back on the heart of the matter, Zola Levitt with you. Uh, our line's about full right now. I'll let you know as they empty off. You know, there's uh, at the Yad Vashem in uh, Jerusalem, if you've seen on my TV program, is uh, a garden of plants and trees made for the Gentiles who helped the Jewish people during the Holocaust. And the good news is that there wasn't just Corey Ten Boom. We just heard about it in Anna Kendall's book review. But um, dozens and dozens of others, hundreds of others, uh, all heroes. King Christian of Denmark, uh, on the day the Nazis told the Jewish people to wear the star on their arms so they could be identified, the king of Denmark came out of his palace on his horse wearing a Jewish star, and then every other citizen, the Gentiles, also put on the stars, and the Nazis were confounded because they could not find the Jews. Uh, in the whole World War II, something on the order of 50 Jewish people were lost in Denmark as a result. Uh, so there were many. It makes us feel good uh, to know. Uh, Joe? Yes, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about uh, all the ways you've supposedly lost your salvation. Yeah. Uh, well, according to Pope Pius IX, in the Syllabus of Errors that he wrote in 1864, and incidentally, he's the Pope that uh, started the doctrine of papal infallibility. Oh, uh huh. He says in Article 17, the eternal salvation of any out of the true Church of Christ is not even to be hoped for. Say again? Which, of course, is a Catholic Church. You never are saved anyway. Oh, if I can't get being a Catholic Church, I'm not saved at all. Right. It, it, it is not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's belonging to the Roman Catholic Church. And all their extra-biblical tradition. You know, there's, a, there's one thing that's been on my heart lately that's just grieved me. And, and I know there's a lot of people in the Catholic Church that are saved. I have no doubt about that. But, you know, there's all this talk going on about cults, the Moonies, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Mormons. But if you look at the characteristics of a cult, uh, I believe the Catholic Church to be the largest cult of all. I'll tell you why. Number one, they believe they have a one central figure who tells pretty much everybody what to do, which in this case will be the Pope. Uh, they believe in, in, uh, that this person can receive you know, extra revelation, and that's what to be, is to be followed other than the Word of God. They, believe, they put other, their other writings above the, the Word of God, which any good Catholic will tell you that the church uh, interprets the Bible. The Bible does not interpret what the church should be, but the church interprets what the Bible says. Mm. Uh, you add to that uh, salvation outside of grace, 
know, is, is very true in the Catholic Church. You're not saved by faith or grace. You're saved by, you know, being a member of their church, by going through all these works, by taking the sacraments, by confessing to the priest. Uh, you know, you take those uh, uh, doctrines and characters of a cult. Uh, it seems to me, wouldn't you agree, that uh, it seems to be pretty cultic. I guess so. It's not intended to be a cult, uh, of course. Uh, and the ones that are cults, really, to be fair, Joe, uh, usually come up with other gods entirely. Uh, uh, the, one, the, the, the only thing that keeps people back from saying the Catholic Church is a cult is because they believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, and, and they do many good works, missionary works in the fields and so on. You can't discount things like Sister Teresa does in India and so forth. And obviously, uh, an example to us all. Cults don't usually produce anything. They, they just cheat people and, and put their uh, operator in Rolls Royces. But does negating the blood of Jesus and, do, but, and doing good social works, you know, make it okay? It doesn't make it completely okay, but it's, it's better than the average cult, which doesn't do any works. In other words, Moonies don't do any works. They sit and lie through their teeth about having old folks' homes and drug rehabilitation centers. You show me one sometime. I infiltrated that church and watched what was going on. When you give them a dollar for a flower on the street, the dollar goes to Reverend Moon to buy another uh, Cadillac and, and uh, marry another wife. That's the thing that gets me about the Catholic Church, because there's an aura of respectability about it. Well, but the Catholics do take your money and help the poor. It is, it is respectable. Uh, I'm not defending their doctrine. I'm just telling you that the works they do are good works. Okay, and another thing, people, Catholics in the United States have to understand this. The Catholic Church here is very different from the Catholic Church elsewhere. For example, Poland, if you've watched any of the, uh, you know, papal visits over there, I mean, there is really when you get into the Mary worship and the, the worship of the dead. and They've really watered it down here because most of the Catholics' money, the vast majority of it, comes out of the United States. Hmm. Yeah, there, it was a lot more talk about praying to Mary uh, in, the, in the papal announcements and so on, like I quoted before from Poland. And my last statement about Mary, you know, even <laughs> assuming, what, you know, well, I'm not going to agree with the Immaculate Conception or the Assumption of Mary into Heaven or the Sinless State, uh, but assuming, you know, she is, you know, she does have influence with Jesus, just say that she did, uh, where in the world do they get the idea that when, once you get to heaven, you're going to be omniscient and omnipresent? How's she going to hear everybody in the world that's praying to her? That's a good point. We, we are changed for immortal life, but it doesn't make us gods. I know. I mean, she's got all the attributes of God all of a sudden. She can hear everybody, every good Catholic in the world praying and, and influence God for everyone on at the same time. It really is uh, a strange doctrine. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. I guess you got to grow up with it to like it. <laughs> okay, Joe. <laughs> Thanks for your remarks. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, it's 1 o'clock. You're listening to KPBC Dallas. And I have a line open at 445-1040 if you want to grab it. And we'll go to Francis' call. Hey, Francis? Yes, hi, Zola. How are you? I would also like to talk about this uh, lady uh, that talked about the mediation of Mary between us and God. Yes. I think the main, the main thing, I'm an ex-Catholic myself. I got saved seven years ago. And I think the main thing... You're saying that when you were a Catholic, you were not saved. No, uh, I never heard of of uh, real salvation. I just uh, went to church every Sunday and uh, never really experienced the Lord in my heart until someone shared about the, you know, being born again. Yeah. 
And uh, but the main the main fallacy in what this lady was saying is that they call Mary the mother of God. And uh, if you call Mary the mother of God, then uh, you're making Mary greater than God Himself. And uh, that's the fallacy of that that uh, whole doctrine. You can't make Mary higher than God because. I think in some ways uh, they really do, although they don't realize it, but they, there's more adoration given to her, more pictures of her, more bowing to her, and more praying to her than there is to God himself. Yeah, so, so instead of calling her the mother of Jesus, because, for example, in the case when... She you want to turn your radio down, Francis, I'm getting an echo back. Come in. Okay, are you back now? His radio must be in the garage. <laughs> hey, Francis. <laughs> Hello, I was trying to look for the scripture where Mary and, and her sons, in other words, Jesus' brothers, came to came to him, and uh, Jesus turned him away and uh, didn't really give him any special treatment. You know, he just treated them just like the rest of his disciples. So uh, John 7, 1 pictures that, and also the occasion where they say, your mother and your brothers are waiting to see you, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers except those who follow in my way? That's right. He should have said, if my mother's waiting to see me, then I have to drop everything. She is the mother of God. Right. Well, she's the mother physically of Jesus, but uh, that's as far as it goes. And, you know, Catholics fail to see how she also bore more children. In fact, you know, uh, James... That is a wonder. Jesus had, had a number of brothers and sisters. The scripture plainly tells us where it says, Is this not the carpenter's son, and do not his parents live with us here, and his brothers and his sisters? And also in the John 7 passage I cited, several of his brothers are there. Of course he had more children. Yeah, see, uh, it, it's, it's, I was talking with a, with, a, with a Catholic while back, too, and I say uh, they think there's a virtue in Mary just because she was chosen. I mean, she was, she was a... She, vessel that was chosen specially, but what made, what makes somebody, you know, for example, I told them, I'm a saint, God calls me a saint, you know, just like, you know, whatever, all the saints they call saints, God calls me a saint. Yes. And the virtue in me being a saint is not in me, but the purpose that God set me apart for. In other words, you know, the, the reason that why I'm a saint is because God set me apart to be a saint, not because, you know, of course God is working in my heart. What the main virtue in me is that God set me apart, you know. And we shouldn't pray to you. Probably won't be efficacious. Nothing special in me. It's just God's work, you know. Okay, Francis. <laughs> that's, uh, that's full of humility. <laughs> okay, brother, I think it's clear. All right. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Bye. I get more calls from people who say, I was a Catholic and now I'm born again. Or just plain, I was a Catholic and now I'm a Christian. And look, this is not an attack, okay? I, I don't even fully understand the Catholic Church. I went to it uh, a few times. I knew people that were Catholics. I, I read some literature. I understand some basic things they do. I've participated in a service. A few weeks ago, I went to a Catholic service. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, of late, I've gone with a knowledge of the Bible in my heart, and, and I can't reconcile what goes on with the Scripture. It's a very nice service, but uh, it's, it's, it's not going to claim to be biblical. Uh, Marie? Oh. Hi. Oh, Zola? Yeah. I want to change the subject to something that'll delight my heart. Okay, that's okay with me. I want to hear a doting father talk about his young son. I've waited, I guess I missed every time, You've been talking about your little boy 
and I want to know how he's doing, how he's talking, and about his mother. Well, he's uh, just like every little boy, and so is his mother, like every other mother. I don't know what to say. He's, to me, he's cute and so forth, but just because he's my little boy doesn't mean we should have a talk show about him. <laughs> he's four years old, He's uh, and he talks a blue streak, and he's very busy, and, um, and he laughs a lot. What can I say? Well, I saw him when he was this tiny baby on your program. Yeah. I kept waiting to hear Papa say something, and uh, I just thought I'd change the subject to somebody that was living. Well, yes, uh, he's living, and <coughs> it's a funny thing. When uh, TV shows rerun and show Aaron as a little peanut, and then people think it's a new show, and then <laughs> he turns up four years old, or else uh, showing my wife pregnant, uh, <laughs> the baby not even born yet, and I come waltzing, and they think it's another one coming. But uh, uh, other than those things, I don't know. You know, I don't want to be the kind of so-called TV evangelist who parades his family out in front of people. I don't. I don't uh, suppose my family is that special. It's 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 just my family. And uh, there are men who make a big deal of their family on the air, and sometimes to their detriment, to tell you the truth. And it's a little, it becomes a little bit like uh, idol worship, like, like the people of England worship the king, and then they end up worshiping the king's son, and worshiping the king's son's choice of a wife, and now the king's son's wife's baby, and so on. It just gets a little crazy. I don't want that. Well, we're to focus on the Lord, uh, not my little boy. I know that. And I wasn't meaning that. It's just that, uh, uh, well, I, I, he's about three now, isn't he? Four. Oh, he's already four. Oh. That's what'll happen in four years, yeah. Well, I, I, I think once a year is okay for you to mention him. <laughs> okay, there he is mentioned. His name is Aaron, or in Hebrew, Aaron Mikhail Benzelig Favo Halevi. Oh, oh. <laughs> Test you on that after the show. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, the Jewish names in their formal state are real long because his name means um, Aaron Michael, son of Zola Philip the Levite. And my name is Zola Philip, son of Joseph Leonard the Levite, and that goes on back, presumably, to Levi. And, uh, boy, when you say it all uh, over a little child, as you do at a circumcision ceremony, everybody wonders, you know, the name is much longer than the child. <laughs> uh, Diane? Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Uh, I bet you get tired of me calling him. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I, I was just saying, I just turned the radio on, and I heard, uh, I believe his name was Joe, talking about uh, Catholics. And it's very interesting, because I was raised Catholic as well, and I went to Catholic school most of my life, and then in high school I was in a convent. And I think we should expound on the similarities between beliefs. And as a Catholic, I knew of Jesus. I kind of got a little irate when I got older and I became born again that they never encouraged us to read the Bible. Instead, we had catechism and uh, about Mary, the assumption. Well, the Immaculate Conception, that's a biblical fact, but the assumption was not in... What's Immaculate Conception mean? Well, it just means that she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Oh, uh, without uh, being with a man. Pardon me? Without, without being with a man is what you're calling immaculate. Impregnated by the spirit of, of the living God. Okay. Okay. But as far as the assumption, that's when she was supposedly taken to heaven by Jesus came down with a band of angels. That is not scriptural. That was not a doctrine or a dogma of, the, of Catholicism until no, uh, November of 1950 by Pope Pius XII. 
<laughs> okay, I'm laughing because it's so silly for somebody in 1950 to make up something that was supposed to have happened in the first century. Really, it says in the twinkling of an eye, and my cousin's a Catholic priest, and I said, holy moly, that's a long trip, you know? From <laughs> okay. So, I mean, but I really think that we should expound on our likenesses, because that's how Satan gets in there and tries to point out the little petty mediocrities in each religion. Let me let me ask you something personal. Oh, please, anything. You have disclosed that your life is full of ups and downs. You have you have been up and down some pretty rough roads. Well, everyone has. Like, yeah, but I mean, you came out of a convent. Well, yeah, uniforms and everything. You were trained then to be as modest and as uh, uh, shy and as virginal as a young American woman can be. And what happened? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, unless you constantly feed as a babe in Christ on the milk of the Word, the life milk of God, our Creator, we are not from the slime and the scum and all that. That's idiocy. I can't believe it. Human beings, if we don't keep our eyes on God, we look down. And when we look down, we bump into things. And there's a lot of things in life that you're going to bump into unless you keep your eyes up. God gave us, like, I've, I don't know if it was you probably, but we get an instruction manual with everything we put together from a, you know, a gym set for the kids in the yard and everything. If you don't follow the directions, things run amok. Yeah. <laughs> but it's only by the grace of God that I'm even alive, and I know that. Well, knowing your story as I do, I wonder how you fell so far from the convent and what you know, my theory here is not to talk about you, but to talk about the convent. I don't think it does what it's supposed to do. Well, no, sir. To be honest with you, when I was in, you know, the Catholic schools, some of the nuns were some of the cruelest people I ever knew. You know, some of the pain inflicted, you know, round sticks on third grade knuckles, you know. And I don't know. I, You know, I just... It, my faith didn't come alive to me till I met Jesus on a personal level. I feel like I know you personally, although we've never met each other face to face, unfortunately for me. But uh, religion, I hate religion. I hate that word because there's so many misconcepts. There's no such thing as religion as far as I'm concerned. There's Jesus, and he is alive. And I talk to him, and he moves in my life, although I don't deserve it. But all this organized religion, you know, it's like spiritual goose-stepping, so to speak. Everybody gets in, everybody dresses alike, everybody does the same thing. On Sundays, everyone's very pious. The rest of the week, you know, maybe they say a little, uh, you know, some type of recited poem over the food. That's not it. Prayer is talking like we're talking. That's what faith is. That's what God is. That's the way he intended it. If he wanted, you know, all of us to, you know, just do it like automatons, you know, robots. Good grief, he would have sent, you know, mimeograph sheets and everybody get in a line at a certain day and say it. But he wants us personally. He wants us all the time. When we're on our face, when we're on our feet, you know, when we're in our car, when we're happy, when we're sad. Sometimes I talk to the Lord and I get a little graphic with, out of anger, but it's in my heart and he knows it's there. So I just tell him, I tell him, I'm sorry, but I'm a human. Sometimes, I don't know, I just think that People, they make God so complex, and he's so simple. He's just simple, pure, he is. I am. That's all he said. You know, he didn't give any great oration. He said, I am. Mm -hmm. That's it. <laughs>
But anyway, you sure didn't get this, this particular philosophy in the convent. No, sir, I didn't. I mean, I knew about Moses, and the nuns even let my granny take me out of school to see the Ten Commandments, which was great. And I've always been drawn to, you know, spiritual things. Some of them, I'm sure, are not scriptural, you know, in all, because Hollywood has had to, you know, spice it up some. Mm -hmm. But basically, we all seek our spiritual level. Because just being on this, this plane, it just does not satisfy us. It, it just doesn't. We're spiritual beings more so than we are mental or physiological. I mean, we're not just organic matter. I mean, we have that spirit. Yeah. And that strives to be free. And the only way to get free is to let Jesus say, come on, you're free. And then you are free indeed. Okay, Diane, thank you. Uh, you're one person I usually let uh, preach on the heart of the matter because you have so much to say. So sorry. I really don't mean to. Like I said, the spirit just comes out. And if it makes sense, it's the spirit. If it sounds like babbling, that's me. Well, it makes sense to me. <laughs> thank you for calling. Goodbye, sir. Bye. Diane's one of our regular callers, and she does have um, simply an orientation to the Lord that's, that's so simple. It's just not made out of any church dogma or... Uh, anybody else's idea as far as I can tell but her own experience okay we'll go ahead back the lines are full right now I'll keep you informed as they uh, empty out uh, Jeff yes you're on the heart of the matter okay good uh, I was calling I've been away from the radio for a little bit so I don't know if anybody's called in to rebut your caller who spoke about the Catholic Church as a cult no I didn't but a viewer did or listener did I'm sorry, I couldn't... A listener uh, called it a cult. I, I kind of argued the point on the basis that uh, a cult doesn't have good works. A Catholic Church has many good works. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, you recognize the fruit of that. Uh, but I'd really, as a Catholic, I'd like to, to claim unity <laughs> okay. with you and uh, with uh, the other you know, Protestant brothers and sisters who are, who are listening to the program. The, uh, the accusations, and there were accusations from the fellow, uh, were really... Uh, pretty much unfounded uh, and exaggerations, and uh, were uh, really not in the in the spirit that should be exercised toward uh, those who are in the body of Christ. And and I would claim uh, my my Protestant brothers and sisters as being as much in the body of Christ as, as I am in the in the Roman Church. Um, well, Jeff, it's uh, you're you're very tactful and diplomatic, but I mean he was talking cold facts. Uh, are the Catholics saved? Are they really brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, or like many that call in, to, would they say I was a Catholic and then I became a Christian? I mean, what the objection really is, whether he put himself well or not, is they're not biblical. They're flat, not biblical. They're not being saved. Are you saying that there is no salvation in the Catholic Church? No, of course not. I said they're not biblical, and if you don't study the Bible, you don't find out how to get saved. Now, people can witness to you and you get saved. I was saved when I'd never been in a church in my life uh, by people witnessing to me and taking me to the Scripture so I could see how. But I imagine I could be in the Catholic Church for 75 years and not hear of salvation. That's really strange. Are you aware of how the Catholic Mass is structured with the, a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the... Uh, yeah, I went to it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there, there sure was a reading, and that's it. The message of salvation is presented several times a year, many times over. In fact, I would I would venture to guess that there's more scripture 
in the mass within the Catholic Church than there is in the average Protestant service. Nothing against the Protestant service. Ah, Jeff, that was not my observation. I saw two readings, and they weren't from the Bible. We just had a book of responsive reading that was sort of a script that we followed, and there were two unrelated passages with no comment. They were simply read and put away like an icon. Nothing was explained. Salvation was never mentioned. I don't speak from a long experience, but I did graduate a Catholic college, Duquesne University, and I know what they did there. I never once heard a breath about uh, salvation there. I, I won't argue that there are places within the Catholic Church where you can avoid hearing the message of salvation. 